Chapter 2 of the Rome Express. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carmen H. The Rome Express by Arthur Griffiths. Chapter 2 Monsieur Flosson, the chief, was an early man, and he paid the first visit to his office about 7 a.m. He lived just round the corner in the Rue des Arcs and had not far to go to the prefecture. But even now, soon after daylight, he was correctly dressed, as became a responsible ministerial officer. He wore a tight frock coat and an immaculate white tie. Under his arm, he carried the regulation portfolio, a lawyer's bag, staff full of reports, dispositions, and documents dealing with cases in hand. He was altogether a very precise and natty little personage, quiet and unpretending in demeanour with a mild thoughtful face in which two small ferrety eyes blinked and twinkled behind gold-rimmed glasses but when things went wrong when he had to deal with fools or when sand was keen or the enemy near he would become as fierce and eager as any terrier he had just taken his place at his table and begun to arrange his papers which being a man of method he kept carefully sorted by lots each in an old copy of the figaro when he was called to the telephone his services were greatly needed, as we know, at the Lyon stations, and the summons was to the following effect. Crime on train number 45, a man murdered in the sleeper. All the passengers held, please come at once, most important. A fiacre was called instantly, and Monsieur Flosson, accompanied by Galipot and Bloch, the two first inspectors for duty, was driven with all possible speed across Paris. He was met outside the station, just under the white veranda, by the officials who gave him a brief outline of the facts, so far as they were known, and as they have already been put before the reader. The passengers have been detained, asked Monsieur Flosson at once. Those in the sleeping car only. Tut-tut, they should have been all kept, at least until you had taken their names and addresses. Who knows what they might not have been able to tell? It was suggested that as the crime was committed presumably while the train was in motion, only those in the one car could be implicated. We should never jump to conclusions, said the chief snappishly. Well, show me the train cart, the list of the travellers in the slipper. It cannot be found, sir. Impossible. Why, it is the porter's business to deliver it at the end of the journey to his superiors, and under the law to us. Where is the porter? In custody? surely sir but there is something wrong with him so i should think nothing of this kind could well occur without his knowledge if he was doing his duty unless of course he but let us avoid hasty conjectures he has also lost the passengers tickets which you know he retains till the end of the journey after the catastrophe however he was unable to lay his hand upon his pocket-book it contained all his papers worse and worse there is something behind all this Take me to him. Stay, can I have a private room close to the other, where the prisoners those held on suspicion are? It will be necessary to hold investigations, take their depositions. Monsieur le juge will be here directly. Monsieur Flosson was soon installed in a room actually communicating with the waiting room, and as a preliminary of the first importance, taking precedence even of the examination of the sleeping car, he ordered the porter to be brought in to answer certain questions. The man, Ludwig Goethe, as he presently gave his name, thirty-two years of age, born at Amsterdam, looked such a sluggish, slouching, blear-eyed creature that Monsieur Flosson began by a sharp rebuke. Now shout! Are you always like this? cried the chief. The porter still stared straight before him with lackluster eyes and made no immediate reply. 
Are you drunk, are you? Can it be possible? He said, and in a vague reply to a sudden strong suspicion, he went on. What were you doing between La Roche and Paris? Sleeping? The man rose himself a little. I think I slept. I must have slept. I was very drowsy. I had been up two nights, but so it is always, and I am not like this generally. I do not understand. Ha! Huh, the chief thought he understood. Did you feel this drowsiness before leaving La Roche? No, monsieur, I did not. Certainly not. I was fresh till then, quite fresh. Hmm, exactly, I see. And the little chief jumped to his feet and ran round to where the porter stood sheepishly and sniffed and smelt at him. Yes, yes. Sniff, sniff, sniffs. The little man danced round and round him, then took hold of the porter's head with one hand and with the other turned down his lower eyelid so as to expose the eyeball. Sniff a little more and then resumed his seat. Exactly. And now, where is your train cart? Pardon, monsieur, I cannot find it. That is absurd. Where do you keep it? Look again. Search. I must have it. The porter shook his head hopelessly. It is gone, monsieur, and my pocketbook. But your papers, the tickets. Everything was in it, monsieur. I must have dropped it. Strange, very strange. However, the fact was to be recorded for the moment. He could, of course, return to it. You can give me the names of the passengers. No, monsieur, not exactly. I cannot remember. Not enough to distinguish between them. Fished! But this is most devilishly irritating. To think that I have to do with a man so stupid, such an idiot, such an ass. At least you know how the berths were occupied. How many in each and which persons? Yes, you can tell me that. Well, go on. By and by we will have the passengers in, and you can fix their places. After I have ascertained their names. Now, please, for how many was the car? Sixteen. There were two compartments of four berths each, and four of two berths each. Stay, let us make a plan. I will draw it. Here, now, is that right? And the chief held up the rough diagram, here shown. Here, we have the six compartments. Now take A, with berths one, two, three, and four. Were they all occupied? No, only two, by Englishmen. I know that they talk English, which I understand little. One was a soldier, the other, I think, a clergyman, or priest. Good. We can verify that directly. Now B, with births five and six, who was there? One gentleman. I don't remember his name, but I shall know him by appearance. Go on. In C, two births, seven and eight. Also one gentleman. It was he who... I mean, there is where the crime occurred. Ah, indeed, in seven and eight. Very well. And the next, nine, ten? A lady, our only lady. She came from Rome. One moment, where did the rest come from? Did any embark on the road? No, monsieur, all the passengers travelled through from Rome. The dead man included was a Roman. That I cannot say, but he came on board at Rome. Very well, this lady, she was alone? In the compartment, yes, but not altogether. I do not understand. She had her servant with her. In the car? No, not in the car, as a passenger by second class, but she came to her mistress sometimes in the car. For her service, I presume. Well, yes, monsieur, when I would permit it, but she came a little too often, and I was compelled to protest, to speak to Madame la Comtesse. She was a countess, then. The maid addressed her by the title. That is all I know. I heard her. When did you see the ladies meet last? Last night, I think, at Amberhoof, about 8 p.m. Not this morning? No, sir, I am quite sure of that. Not at La Roche? She did not come on board to stay for the last stage, when her mistress would be getting up dressing and likely to require her? 
No, I should not have permitted it. And where's the maid now, do you suppose? The porter looked at him with an air of complete imbecility. She is surely somewhere near, in or about the station. She would hardly desert her mistress now, he said stupidly at last. At any rate, we can soon settle that. The chief turned to one of his assistants, both of whom had been standing behind him all the time, and said, Step up, Galipo, and see. No, wait. I am nearly as stupid as this simpleton. Describe this maid. Tall and slight, dark-eyed, very black hair. Dressed all in black, plain black bonnet. I cannot remember more. Find her, Galipo. Keep your eye on her. We may want her. Why, I cannot say, as she seems disconnected with the event, but still she ought to be at hand. Then, turning to the porter, he went on. Finish, please. You said nine and ten was the ladies. Well, eleven and twelve? It was vacant all through the run. And the last compartment for four? There were two berths occupied both by Frenchmen, at least so I judged them. They talked French to each other and to me. Then, now we have them all. Stand aside, please, and I will make the passengers come in. We will then determine their places and affix their names from their own admissions. Call them in, block, one by one. End of chapter 2